Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Allahumma salli wa sallim ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala ali Sayyidina Muhammad wa barik wa sallim. Rabbi shahli sadri wa sirli amri wa hlul uqdatan min lisani yafqahu qawli. Subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana. Subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana. Subhanak la ilmanana illa ma'allamtana. Allahumma allimna ma yanfa'una wa anfa'na ma'allamtana wa zidna ilman wa amala. Allahumma nawwir qulubana bi'ilmi wa sta'amil abdanana li ta'atik wa wafiqna lima tuhibu wa tarda min qawli wal amali wal niyati wal huda. Innaka ala kulli shayin qadir. Ameen. Respected uh, elders and brothers, mothers and sisters, dear listeners, dear students, Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillah, today I'll be covering for Mufti bin Hajj. We want to ensure that the dars continues on. So we are reading from Sahih al-Bukhari, however, from a different section, uh, just so that there is continuity in the discussion. Since, as you know, in Sahih al-Bukhari, every single hadith is very uh, deeply connected to the next one. And every hadith is connected to its chapter. And... Uh, um, although majority of that discussion usually happens more in an academic setting in a classroom, but by that, that part, I'm sure you've already heard uh, in his class here that the, the, the one of the most uh, amazing points of Sahih al-Bukhari is what is called the Tarjamat al-Bab, the connection between the chapter headings and each hadith. And uh, the ulama, the depth that they have gone into this discussion is, is mind-boggling. MashaAllah. So, I wanted to leave that discussion uh, of Babu Bad al Wahi, the beginning of uh, revelation with him, and is starting from a different section so that he can continue on with his discussion when he returns, inshallah. And we're going to read from Kitab al Riqaq. Raqqa is for something to become um, soft uh, and thin. Raqiq. Raqiq is something which is thin and it's soft. So Riqaq is those hadiths that soften the heart. Because you have a hard rock We all have hard rocks And so these hadith come and they bang on that hard rock And they uh, really soften it up Break it into pieces and That's what it's supposed to do Subhanallah Now we all acknowledge the fact that we have Unfortunately Our hearts have become hardened uh, Through uh, all the various things we're surrounded by And so what is the solution to this hard heart? Or by reading a hadith uh, like this And you will see Subhanallah, that when you read a hadith like this, genuinely it has an effect on your heart. And you feel different. You walk out of the masjid or outside of the classroom, outside of the masjid, it's different than when you entered in. So let's hope and let's pray to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He allows this session to become a means of, of the softening of my heart and your heart. May He make it a means of rejuvenating our deen. Uh, and uh, may He make you and I amongst those who will be gathered with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. We can't see Him, we can't sit with Him, but what we can do is we can sit with His hadith. So the closest you can get to sit with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam is to sit in a gathering in which His hadith is being shared, taught. Seriously, at this moment in time, there's no place, no occasion, no, no better, nothing better to be doing, nothing more rewarding at this time, at this hour of the night, than be sitting in, in a dars of hadith of Rasulullah Think about the entire country, four, three, four hours to the east, three, four hours to the west by flight. How many on Monday night do we have occasions? I'm not saying there's none, but how few there are occasions at this time of the night where you can get a chance to sit with a group of brothers and sisters and listen and share some words of hadith of the Prophet So alhamdulillah, this is the grace of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala upon you and I that He has allowed us to uh, sit and enjoy uh, this gathering. May He make it absolutely blessed for all of us. Uh, hadith number 6412 
with the uh, chain of narration that goes between from us through our teachers all the way to Imam al-Bukhari without any uh, uh, without any f with, without any um, place where there's inqita' yani where there is the, the line is not uh, the, the chain of narration is being cut in the middle alhamdulillah there is no um, uh, names missing there is no uh, openings between this sanad between us and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam via Imam Bukhari this is a, a huge blessing when we study with sanad uh, any hadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam as you've heard before in the previous sessions that uh, it brings about much much more barakah you're part of the golden chain going back to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam so in this hadith the narrator Abdullah bin Abbas radiallahu anhu he says that the Prophet sallallahu said there are two blessings that many people are deceived into losing there are two blessings that many people are deceived into losing health and free time health and free time so what Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa is saying here Ghaban What is Ghaban? Ghaban means deception Ghaban means deception So two uh, uh, Like for example You probably You may have heard in the books of fiqh Or class of fiqh In students of knowledge Say Ghaban al-Fahish When you're buying or selling something If something is, is a, a, a massive uh, discrepancy with, By which it's going to cause Mubil al-Niza' It's going to cause uh, argumentation between the buyer and seller Then this, this should not be there You should need to cut it out Any type of ambiguity Or any type of uh, you know, deception uh, That is going to become a source of argumentation Between the buyer and seller It needs to be avoided at all cost That's called ghaban um, For example, Rasulullah was walking through the marketplace He, put it, he saw a man selling some grains he put his hand inside the grains and he found it to be wet inside. It was dry on top, it was wet inside. The Prophet said, Man ghashana falaysa minna. Whoever tries to deceive us or whoever tries to mix things around, he's not from amongst us. What happened when you have something that is wet, let's say uh, wheat or something like that, or, uh, then it, the volume increases. It, it, it um, you know, becomes, uh, bec uh, the water soaks in. And it becomes it becomes bigger. It expands, right? So now, what happens that the pile, the heap, is supposed to be only let's say four inches high, but now it seems five inches high or six inches because inside what has happened, it's it it has become larger than it actually is. It's soaked in the water, the moisture. So this is deception. And on top of it, you have it selling it as dry inside. It's wet. So he put his hand inside and he said, "Whoever deceives us is not from amongst us." So this is ghaban. You got you you got deceived. Okay. There's a whole surah in Quran in the 28th juz called Surah Taghabun. Surah Taghabun, right? Very effective, by the way, for ulama have shared from their experience that someone is going through uh, sickness, you know, uh, a strong bout of COVID or any other type of sickness uh, and types of, uh, you know, uh, conditions that you may be suffering from, you, your children, your spouse, whoever it may be. Reading 41 times Surah Taghabun, you heard this amal during COVID time, I'm sure. Alright, uh, that 41 times during this amal, alhamdulillah, will bring uh, respite and will bring uh, ease, ease for a person. MashaAllah, I've, I've had the experience here with students. We read it for various occasions, on various occasions, for various sicknesses, etc., and found it to be absolutely effective. So, this is Surah Taqabun, reciting it 41 times. Now, someone was asking the other day, but where did these numbers come from? Look, these things are. Yani even in the sunnah there's numbers 
There's 33 times subhanAllah, it's not 34, it's 33. There's 33 times Alhamdulillah, not 34, it's 33. And then Allahu Akbar, in one narration is 34, in one narration is 33, okay, and then you, you do the hundredth one with another dhikr. If I, if I remember correctly, La ilaha illallah But there's a specific number that Nabi mentioned. Um, there's a number of seven mentioned in many times. Read this seven times. Allah ma'afri fi badani. Read it three times, not once. Allah ma'barikli fi al-maut wa fi ma'bad al-maut. Read it 25 times. So the, the numbers are mentioned in hadith for various adhkar, uh, uh, and a person sh- needs to stick to that number in order to gain the full benefit of it. So there is a precedence of having a set number, is what I'm saying. Rasulullah said, reading Surah Ikhlas three times equivalent to the whole Quran. Surah Ikhlas, ta'adilu thuluth al-Quran. Reading Ikhlas once is equivalent to one-third of the Quran. I mean that Allah is capable of giving you the reward, what we call thawab al-fadl, honorary reward. Honorary reward uh, of surah, by Surah Ikhlas for the whole Quran. Why can't He give it to you by one? Oh, how about I read it four? No, it's three. Similarly, sunnats of dhuhr, sunnats of fard salah, all of the adad, to the extent if you add one more raka'ah, your salah, if you didn't, if for example, if you didn't do tashahud, and after the maghrib salah, you felt like, man, I just feel like, I just got a new job, man. I want to thank Allah, let me add one more raka'ah. You didn't do your tashahud, and you stood up for the fourth raka'ah, your salah is invalid, must be repeated. If a person did tashahud, but in, intentionally did it, still is invalid. Right? So my point is, you can't add and subtract on numbers. Now when it comes to these specific uh, benefits of certain surahs, these are things that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has um, blessed or put into the hearts of ulama and righteous pious people of different times. This is what we call ilham, inspiration. Just like the explanations of various Quranic ayat and various ahadith of the Prophet sallallahu many ulama will give, their books are written, and they'll give, you, they'll give something from Quran and hadith, and then they'll say, and I, this is what comes to my heart. What is that? And then we, sometimes we listen to that, we say, wow, this is the, like the most amazing explanation of this hadith or this ayah of the Qur'an. The key thing is that the explanation that you're giving cannot go against any verse of the Qur'an and hadith of the Prophet it, cannot, it should not be going against the sharia. It should not be going against what we should say, established principles of Islam. It should not be going against established principles of Islam. If it goes against established principles of Islam, then you have to throw it away. That type of inspiration is of no good. So as long as someone shares something and they, they are giving a specific number for that, we cannot regard that as a sunnah. And most definitely, sunnah amal is going to always take priority over non-sunnah amal. Sunnah tasbih will always take priority over non-sunnah tasbih. Sunnah salawat upon the Prophet ﷺ is going to take priority over non-sunnah salawat. There's many different ways of sending salutations upon the Prophet ﷺ. But always sunnah is going to be number one. And additionally to that, if a scholar shares something with us, or it, it, Allah Azza wa inspired him with something, then by all means, there's nothing wrong with that as long as you understand that the power comes from Allah and the effect and shifa comes from Allah. And this was a number, this is part of the package that was given to me. Read this surah this number of times. Don't think it's sunnah, but regard it that the Quran has the power to do amazing things. The, the salawat has the power to do amazing things. Why cannot my issue get solved through this? You know, I wanted to share, it's all about yaqeen, conviction. So, I've shared this story before that when, when I, when, once I took out some students, high school students, out in the path of Allah Azza wa Jalla, Khuruj. And uh, one of the students on Salat al Jum'ah, you know, we were, pray, we were in a big masjid, and what happened is he, he misplaced his cell phone. 
So uh, I, uh, after Juma he came to me, he said, I lost my phone. And it was right here, it was gone. I don't know. I said, brother, 2,000 people came and left for Juma. If you left your phone there, I mean, what are the chances of you finding it? It's probably gone. If you can't find it where you placed it. So he was pretty you know, upset about it, sad that he lost his phone. Then he was looking through the, you know, just uh, going through the bookshelves of the masjid, like you have in, in many masajid, random books. So he found a book, Names of Allah. And then the Names of Allah book. He started flipping through that. And he saw, you know, some of these books mention this name of Allah, you read it this many times for this reason. Again, these are not proven from hadith. No one's saying that. These are things that have been shared by scholars or mashayikh and, and things of that sort. That's why they've been collected in those books. So he came across one, one name of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I think it was Ya Jami'u, or the gatherer. And it said, read X number of times to find your lost item. Right? So now this young man who was there, he sat down and he started reading it. After obviously have searching the masjid top and bottom everywhere. He came to me around Asr time, you know, and he was just emotional. I said, what happened? And he said, I, re- I found this book, I read this name of Allah Azza wa Jal, as, num- as many times as mentioned there, with the conviction that Allah will return my lost item. And then I had my jacket next to me, I picked up my jacket and there was the phone. Right? Obviously he had, obviously he had lifted his jacket and walked around and whatnot. And so he was so emotional. I said, you know what, after Salat al-Maghrib, why don't you give the bayan? So I said, what am I supposed to do? I don't know anything. I said, this is it, just tell it what happened, khalas. This, all the, game, the name of the game is Yaqeen. If you have Yaqeen, anything can happen. If you don't have Yaqeen, then nothing will happen. Simple, small afkar can give you success in anything you're going through your life as long as you recite it with conviction. And if you don't have conviction, you'll be Shaykh al-Hadith also. Shaykh of Bukhari is teaching for 30 years. But if you don't believe in what you're selling, uh, what you're peddling, we don't believe in what you're teaching, he's not going to help you. And if a person doesn't, he's a simpleton. He doesn't know. He's never seen in his whole life Sahih al-Bukhari. Never seen a book of hadith. But whatever he hears a scholar say, he says, I trust them and I'm going to do this with conviction. You'll see he'll go far ahead. I'tiqad. You know, I'tiqad, yani trust is a very big blessing of Allah. And so ask Allah Azza wa Jal in this, day, in this day of skepticism that Allah blesses you and I with yaqeen. And Allah blesses you and I with i'tiqad. You know, you have to go search and find, you don't just randomly pick up any scholar, random any person who has a beard is not a scholar, anyone who's holding a mic is not a scholar. But once you do your due diligence and say, this man is on haq, this man if I hold him, he's gonna take me to Jannah inshaAllah. This man inshaAllah if I hold him, he's gonna guide me to Rasulullah on the Day of Judgment. Once you build that trust in that person, then you have to seriously trust them in everything they say. As long as it doesn't go against the Sharia. But if every single thing, you're gonna sit there and argue back, but what's the proof for this? And what's for this? It's not gonna work like that. And those type of people who do all these questioning, unfortunately, they don't benefit. And that is the biggest problem in America right now. What we're dealing with is the skepticism and everything. Right? Koichis, they don't wanna believe, but why? I'll tell you, subhanAllah, what happened today. Because we always learn from our experiences. I I spoke to one, student and I said listen you know when, you, when, when something happens when there's a rule being ma- shared or mentioned save yourself the trouble and say وطعنا, we listen and we obey because that's what you signed up for you're here in, in the army or you're here in the madrasa you're a man of the army you imagine you go and you tell your lieutenant you tell your superior that why does a Pakistani army have this rule and I tell him, if you do that he's going to give you a hundred push-ups right there then you say, Give me something a benefit. A hundred push-ups, how does this help you? Then brother, you're gonna do another hundred with one hand. 
try it again. Then you're gonna have to do another hundred with maybe three fingers. That's what's gonna happen. So I said, you sign up for something like that. You don't, you don't use aql istamal nahi karte. Once you sign up for something, you should have used your aql before you joined the army. Now you signed up for it. Now done. They don't, they don't accept that you sit there and say, I don't understand this rule and that rule. So I said, if you do, in the madrasa, or for that matter, karate, or jujitsu, whatever you're learning, you have to have trust on your teacher. You have to have trust on your mentor. You can't sit there and say, why is it like this and why is it like that? Why is it like this and why is it like that? If you do like this, you will never benefit. Try that with your karate instructor, right? He'll kick you out the first day. He'll say, please, don't ever come back here if, with this type of attitude. You have to have trust. So when it, comes to, when it comes to your teachers, you also have to have trust. Instead of saying, well, this rule doesn't make sense, and that rule doesn't make sense. So interestingly, he proved himself right there. He says, but you know, this XY rule, it really, you know, we're taught to use our logic and your mind. Why can I not use my logic right here? Why can't I not lose your magic? I said, may Allah guide you, brother. You're in seriously in you know, deep waters. With this type of attitude, you're seriously going to have a hard time. Focus, I said, make dua to Allah. Ya Allah, get rid of this ananiya, this nafsaniya that I have. This ego. That's what it is, ego. Aqal chalani ki adat. Who did this? Aqal kisne chalaya Shaitan. Shaitan is the one who said to Allah Azza wa Jal, Stop using your logic. In, 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 of course you use your logic in an appropriate place Don't quote me in a, you know, in, 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 out of, out of uh, context But when certain things you sign up to You just have to agree that if You, you should have do your due diligence before That's what la din means What does la din mean? There's no compulsion in deen You've heard this ayah What does this mean? La din There's no compulsion in the entering into deen But once you've entered deen Then you have to follow the rules you cannot say like Rafid Din means I'm not gonna pray salah. What is it supposed to be? No, you don't have to be a Muslim. Allah says, whoever wants to be a believer can be a believer, whoever wants to be a disbeliever, that's up to him. Indeed, we have prepared for the oppressors a fire that is walls are gonna be surrounding that individual. Ayah from Surah Al Kahf. So Allah Azza wa Jal is giving you the option. He says, if you want to be a disbeliever, it's up to you. Of course, you're going to face the repercussions. You should come khushi say, come to, Allah, to come to Islam on your own, with your own happiness. But once you choose Islam, then there's no turning back. Then you have to follow the rules. Anyway, this all started off with ghaban. Subhanallah. Right? Taghaban. So what, how many times have I said? <laughs> okay. So this was all about why do you have to do a set number of times? I shared an amal the other day to protect yourself from watching harams. You know, the other day, youth night, Friday night. I shared something. A person came up to me and said, Shaykh, what if someone doesn't believe this? Says this bidah. I said, well, tough luck. Then don't give it to him. Don't give him this amal. But if you want to argue, don't do it. No problem. Go do something else. Why do we, you're going to give the medicine and then after that I have to spend six hours doing a presentation why this medicine you should take? No, I'm not getting any money out of this. What is it for? We're not selling it. The doctor writes a prescription. Why should he sit there and give you a pharmacology lesson for the next three days for you to take your medication? If you don't trust him, don't go to him. That's it. But look at how blindly we know. How many of us have read the 100 page you know, uh, uh, paper that comes with each medicine with all the side effects? No one reads it. That blindly you take it. So much trust. But anytime someone says something, what is a proof for this? What's a proof for that? SubhanAllah. So you can do your, your research before you get to the scholar. Once you do so, then 
not, don't, uh, then you, you, you actually have to trust them. And if you don't trust this person, go, for, go, go ahead and find someone you do trust. That's all I'm telling you. I'm telling you just find someone because you will not be able to understand the intricacies of every single thing. Hadith Sahih and Da'if, by usko samjhani to understand that, we will need at least three to four hour presentation on that. It's not just something you just throw away, you throw names. Like what is that? It's a very complicated subject. So on what basis, like oh if it's, is it not, if it's not in Bukhari, I'm not gonna follow it. Like these type of statements are so foolish, based on foolishness. People who haven't studied hadith say things like this. Imam Bukhari, who said that all the Sahih hadith of the world are in, in, in Sahih Bukhari? There's tons of Sahih hadith and authentic hadith. Right? And what does that mean if it's not Sahih? Right? That's another whole discussion. We have had workshops on it, inshallah we'll have more workshops on it too. It doesn't mean if something is not classified in the hadith terminology as Sahih, that a person cannot you know, follow that. So, uh, Surah Al-Taghabun. Now why is Surah Al-Taghabun called Surah Al-Taghabun? Anyone know? What does Ghaban mean? Deception. Doga. So why is, surah, why is Taghabun called Taghabun? Any third year students, fourth year? Tafawl. What is the khasiyat of Tafawl? Musharaka. Right? So Taghabun is from Tafawl and the scale of Tafawl means it's, it's happening from both sides. It's happening from more than one side. Not just one side, two sides. So now, what do you think about that? Mutual deception. What does that mean? Any, anyone? Mutual deception. Such a beautiful explanation. I mean, a beautiful name of the, of the surah, subhanAllah. Mutual deception means qiyamah on the day of judgment when people are going to be looking at each other. Acha aap? You're headed to jahannam? Inna lillahi rajiun. you? You're headed to jannah? I can never imagine this. People are going to be looking at each other, shell shocked. They won't believe that he or she is going to jannah. Whoever they thought was going to jahannam, many of them were going to jannah. Who they thought were going to jahannam, will be going to jannah. Who they thought were going to jannah, will going to jahannam. And themselves too. It's not about shocked about others. People will be looking at us shocked too. Taghabun. It's a day of mutual deception. Where people will be just deceived. Like, how, how did you end up there? Or, how did I end up here? Subhanallah. What a name. Yawbut Taghabun. This is the name of the Day of Judgment. From the 20 plus names of the Day of Judgment, this is one of the names. Yawbut Taghabun. Right? The Day of Mutual Deception. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, on that day, keep us from the people of Jannah. And all those who, you know, who we loved and our loved ones and our family members, Allah also make them from Ahlul Jannah. So two blessings in which people are deceived. Kathirun minan nas. Majority of the people, majority of the people, right, are deceived. What is that? This is siha wal faragh. Now, ajib, subhanAllah, this is says, majority of the people are deceived. Isn't that right? So what, does it, can, what, what do you understand about this? That if you, uh, something which I said last night's hadith after Isha is that understand that the majority of the people are not going to be on the right path. Today I got asked by someone, they say, You're always talking about, you know, the, the fitna of high school and the, the whole LGBTQ movement, this, that, and we got to do something. Wake up, wake up, wake up. Something's happening. I mean, really, is it that bad? Like, everyone else is going to public school. How many people are right now are sitting in this dars? How many people attend Islamic school? How many people attend maktab? How many people attend halaqat? What percentage of the Muslim community? Small percent. The rest of the people are in public school. There's no problem. They're going to preschool through K, K through 12, plus undergrad, plus postgrad studies. They're moving on forward with life. 
Just today someone said, How, are you really telling me? I've seen a lot of decent people coming out of school. What do you know is decent? How, how do you even know the condition of the heart? Right? This is what I'm trying to tell you is that this is the painful reality I want to share again with you. The majority of the people according to the Quran and Hadith are misguided. You've heard me say this tens of times. That the word kathir in the Quran or akthar, akthar, the word akthar, majority in the Quran is used in a negative context. Akhtharhum la yu'minun, akhtharhum la yaqilun, right? Akhtharhum la yatafakkarun, or la yatadabbarun, or etc, etc. You know, those, uh, those verses of the Quran where akhtar is used, is used in a negative context. And the word qalil, which means minority, is used in a positive context. That qalilun mahum, wa qalilun min abadi shukur, ma amana ma'ahu illa qalil. Very few believe, very few are grateful. Huh? Dhikran kathira. <laughs> no, so so dhikran kathira means to remember Allah subhanahu wa taala abundantly. The word kathir there is is not describing people; it's describing dhikr. That's why we're talking about when, whenever the word akthar, majority, or kathir. But I don't think if kathir uh, comes in the Quran describing people, but the word akthar comes majority. That comes in a negative context. And you look at today, we're still Muslims. Islam has spread, but still we're a minority. Isn't it? Majority of the world is non-Muslim. And it will be like that. It was like that. From that minority that's a Muslim, a minority will be on the, on the truth. You know the hadith about 73 factions. This ummah will be spread into 73. The previous ummahs were 72. This was going to be 73. All of the 73, from the 73, all of them will be in the hellfire except for one group. That group which will be following the deen that I and my companions are upon. So it's like a class that's, I give this example, a class is being held, a biology 101 or whatever class is being held in room 202 of, you know, Johnson Hall of your huge university campus. You at arriving in the parking lot does not mean you're in class. You arriving on the grounds of the university does not mean you're in class. You arriving in any of the buildings does not mean you're in class. You arriving in the right building does not mean the right class. You have to arrive from the 20 buildings of the university, you have to arrive in the right building, science building. Then you have to arrive in the right floor. And then there's tens of rooms and classrooms. You have to arrive in the right classroom. And you also have to arrive at the right time. Exactly. SubhanAllah. So people say, brother, isn't it enough to be a Muslim? It doesn't work like that. Isn't it enough to, for me to arrive at the parking lot? No, it doesn't. You have to be exactly in the right room to be counted as present for class. So this is... Uh, what it is that you have to follow the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah, you have to be on the exact deen that Rasulullah left behind. How is it going to happen? Allah You have to ask Allah Azza wa Jal, Ya Allah, please keep me guided on the, uh, the deen of the Ahl Sunnah, the understanding of the deen that the Ahl Sunnah wal Jama'ah have. So, majority of people who are going through systems, unfortunately, they're lost. That's what I'm trying to tell you. Rasulullah said, Kathir, majority of people are suffering loss. They are making major mistakes in the tarbiyah of their children. Making major mistakes in their uh, financial decisions in, regarding Islamic financial decisions. All these things, majority of people are making mistakes. And then specifically, Nabi Wasallam spoke about two blessings, which are as-sihatu wal-faragh. That it is regarding health and free time. Regarding health and free time. So what do we learn from this year? That there are many levels of blessings. Some blessings are greater than others. Naturally. Um, so from amongst those blessings that are major after Iman is health and free time. Why is that? 
Because when you have health and when you have availability, you can please Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in a manner that you would never be able to do if you didn't have these two blessings. Meaning these two blessings are fundamental in order for you to do good deeds, in order for you to achieve great things in life. How many people who are sick right now would love to do great things? But subhanAllah, they just don't have the capacity. How many elders, they'll, you meet them and they'll tell them, you know, son, my time's over. I wish I could have done something. I wish I did something when I was young. I wish I was done something when I was healthy. Now I'm on my, you know, uh, on my bed. They can't do that. They have a desire, but they can't. Similarly, there's people who are now uh, moving on with life. Usually we have some adult students in our one-year program. And, and the adult married, fathers of a few children, you know, professionals. And they always look at the, you know, the young 18-year-olds. And they're like, man, I, can't, I wish I had done the one-year program when I was your age. And I wish if I was your age, I could have continued on to the second year and the third year. I'm now, you know, 30s and 40s, and I got so much on my plate, I have, I've barely been able to take out one year. Why don't you please make niya to do the second year or move on? All right? They're not understanding that. They just don't get it. Because they're, they, they're, seeing, they're seeing this 18-year-old and the 17-year-old as someone who has got opportunity that's now lost. That I don't have. So Nabi alayhi salatu is saying that these two blessings, we need to make sure that we make the most benefit and take full benefit of. Let's read some hadith regarding this in verses of the Qur'an. Uh, first of all, some verses of the Qur'an, Allah Azza wa Jalla says in Surah Mu'minun, حَتَّى إِذَا جَاءَ أَحَدَ وَالْمَوْتُ قَالَ رَبِّ رَجِعُونَ Every person who dies, when death will come to him, he will say, Rabbi, O oh my Lord, irji'oon, send me back. Please send me back. Every dying man says that. You can imagine the queen said that too. لَعَلِّي أَعْمَلُ صَالِحًا فِي مَا تَرَكْتُ So that I may go do good deeds فِي مَا تَرَكْتُ In which the life that I just left behind. The response, never. This is just a statement you're saying. This is something you had to say that you're saying it. You're never going to go back. Never. The time for action was dunya. This is the darul amal. That is darul jaza. This is the place of action. That is a place of reward or punishment. This, today, don't expect rewards. When you say, I'm not getting appreciated for all that I do, you're not supposed to. The place of appreciation is over there. Similarly, other people say, how come they're committing so many sins, they're doing so much wrong, and they're getting away with it? Because this place is not a place of punishment. If, if everyone who was to be punished got punished here, then the exam and imtihan would be over. If everyone were to get rewarded the way, for their good deeds, then the imtihan would be over. I was just sharing this with another student. I said, sometimes, man, you feel like overwhelmed. When is this fight going to end with me and, and my nafs and shaitan? Every single day, every single day something going wrong in your life. Every single day you're being tested. Sometimes this daughter, sometimes this son, sometimes your wife, sometimes your husband, sometimes your mom, sometimes your dad, sometimes your in-laws. It's non-stop. Every day is a different thing. But I said, you know, we have to reflect on the life of Rasulullah Any, If there's anyone who should have a perfect, unscathed life where you're not even touched, it should have been Rasulullah Like, you know, breeze. He should have had that perfect life in which he's, he has got no headache, no stomach ache, all right? and, 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 and all the children are well fed, well kept, well clothed, everything perfect, no one's, getting, no one's going through difficulty. But subhanAllah, Rasulullah going through so much difficulty, so much difficulty, that tells us, this is arrogance, this is something that we should never think, that, Ya Allah, I want you to make my life you know, perfect. Who are you and I in front of Rasulullah Yes, we can pray to Allah, that Allah, we're very weak, do not test us. But we cannot get flustered, frustrated, and upset if Allah chooses to throw different things at us every single day. Simply take it in with a smile 
and think that you're going to meet with Rasulullah on the Day of Judgment because the more difficulty you go through, the closer you will be to Prophet The people who go through the most tests are the ones who are prophets and then those who come after them in the deen and then those who come after them in the deen. The people who go through the most tests are the prophets. So if any of you know someone or yourself are feeling overwhelmed or going through a lot of tests, physical, emotional, spiritual, mental issues in, of your family, etc., Remind yourself that you are inshallah on the path of the prophets right? The more tests you go through You're, going, you're getting closer to the prophets So siha wal faragh Is such a blessing That at the time of death Every single person will be wishing I wish I could have come back Allah Jalla Jalalu says in Surah Al-Munafiqoon وَأَنفِقُوا مِمَّا رَزَقْنَاكُمْ Spend in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala from what we have given you مِنْ قَبْلِ أَنْ يَأْتِ أَحَدَكُمُ الْمَوْتِ Before death comes to one of you فَيَقُولْ And then he will say Rabbi, O oh my Lord لَوْ لَا أَخَّرْتَنِي إِلَىٰ أَجَلٍ قَرِيبٍ If only you can give me respite for a short I'm not asking a lot of time Just a few hours, a few minutes, a few days What am I going to do? What are you going to do with a few days and a few minutes? فَأَصَّدَّقْ So I can give charity Understand the importance of charity the dying man, he knows he can't probably pray 1,000 rakats of nafil right now if Allah were to give him another day to live. He's too weak. The dying man knows that he probably is not going to be able to go perform hajj or umrah at his, so, you know, at his deathbed. But every dying man, Allah says, make sure you spend in the path of Allah before a time comes when death will be knocking at your... You'll be about to die. You'll see Malik al entering the hospital room. And you know you're about to go. And you'll be saying, Ya Allah, give me a few minutes. Okay, Ya Abd, what you want to do in these few minutes? Fa'asaddaq, so I can give charity. Because that's the easiest thing. Swipe your credit card, use Zelle, quick pay, write a check. It's the quickest thing. It takes five seconds to do it. But if we haven't done it in this dunya, enough sadaqah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, at the time of death, that's what you'll be wishing. Wishing. Wa'akum min salihin And then, Ya Allah, by giving sadaqah, then I will become from the righteous people. Sadaqah is the quickest, easiest way to get sins forgiven, to extinguish the anger of Allah. And to be raised from amongst the pious. Allah will never delay a person's death when it arrives in time. When the time arrives, it will never be delayed. And Allah is well aware of what you are doing. SubhanAllah. May Allah save us from having to say this on that day. May Allah make us amongst those who give charity while we're alive. The Prophet Ajib, he said, Hadith. He said, the best sadaqah is to give. When he said, uh, The best sadaqah is to give while you're healthy, not when you're about to die. Shahihun, when you are greedy for more, you want more money, you got a lot of expenses, you want to get big investments, you want to have big, nice plans, then you're giving sadaqah. And you're scared of poverty. That's the best time to give sadaqah. Because a dying man. His, his money is already belonging to his heirs. Now you're actually giving money on behalf, on, from your heirs, not your own money. You, can't, you have no time to enjoy it anymore. It's done. So that's a cheap way of donating. Cheap way of giving is the time of death. The real sadaqah and the real charity is to give while you can actually enjoy it. Three things that Rasulullah said. Sahih, you're healthy. You're not afraid of dying. You're not afraid you're sick. Because when you're sick, people when they get sick, they automatically start coming to Allah. And it's like, They remember Allah and they give sadaqah. Rasulullah said the best sadaqah is to give when you, when you have no real reason to, I won't say it like that, but there's no like, excruciating reason to push you to the ground, to in sujood. You're like, Alhamdulillah, I'm enjoying blessings, but guess what, man? I'm, I want to give sadaqah out of happiness. Think about it. Most people always give sadaqah when musibah comes. How many people give sadaqah? But why are you donating right now? 
because I just had a great day. I didn't have a car accident. My wife and my kids are healthy. My parents are healthy and alive. All right? Everything is home. My house is, 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 is in a good situation. Why should I not give sadaqah out of happiness and thankfulness and gratitude to Allah? Most people want to give sadaqah when things go wrong. Not, alhamdulillah, at least they're giving sadaqah at that time. Because many people don't even give sadaqah at that time. So if you're going through problems, definitely give sadaqah. Yes. But what we're saying is that the most virtuous sadaqah is to give when you are healthy. And what else did he say? Greedy for money. And what else? Takhshal faqra, you are afraid of poverty. This is the best time to give it. Instead of giving it at the time of death when it already belongs to the heirs. And this is something what Rasulullah said. Subhanallah. And then the Umar, Umar radiallahu anhu, he would say, that when you wake up in the morning, don't wait for the evening to do good deeds. And when you're going to bed, let's say you want to pray two rakat, you want to give some sadaqah, don't say, I'll do it tomorrow morning. Do it right now. You might not see tomorrow morning. As, as we've heard from our elders, that a good niyyah and a good intention is a guest from Allah. Allah ka bhejawa mehman. A good niyyah is a guest from Allah. If you don't honor that guest, that guest may not come back to you. One of uh, Choksi Sahib, I remember he had shared a story. If I'm not mistaken, this story he shared with us in class. That he said a person one day was traveling, a, business, a man, Chaudhri Sahib, you know, uh, he was going through, a wealthy person was going through the marketplace, a beggar came to him. By Allah, with the sake of Allah, please give me something, give me something. He didn't have much to give in his pocket. So his servant was with him. He was walking with the servant back home. This wealthy person, what did he do? He took off his shirt and gave it to him. His shirt. He walked home in his, in his t-shirt. So the, uh, the, the, the uh, a servant told uh, the, the businessman, why, if you had to give him a shirt, which is, it's up to you, but why did you give it while we were walking and you walk home with a t-shirt? Why did you give it to him once we arrive at home? And so he said, I could have done that. But when I arrived at home, I don't know what would have happened. I don't know if my niya would have changed. What if I got home and my niya would have changed and I don't want to give that shirt anymore. I would have lost all the opportunity. SubhanAllah, how true this story is. Think about yourself. You Sometimes you look at something, you get motivated. You're like, I want to support this XYZ person. I want to give charity to this, this individual or to this institution. And then once you, if you don't act upon it right then and there and you leave, shaitan just attacks us. And all of a sudden, that good niya that we had disappears. So this is how we should do. That anytime the niya comes, the good niya comes, try our best to jump on it immediately. And what else we learn from here is that a hadith of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam comes to mind where Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said that Badiru bil a'mali saba'an Hurry up and do your good deeds before seven things come to you. And then he said, from amongst those things, Hal What are you waiting for? Illa faqran munsiya wa mutriya. What are you waiting for? Are you waiting for poverty? Have you heard this hadith before? Yes? Have you, are you waiting for poverty that's gonna make you forget Allah? Because when things go really bad, and a person has, has to earn money to bring simple bread at home for his kids, then he says, I don't even have time to come for Jummah. That's what happens. Right? So then what happened? He says, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for that much level of poverty that you're going to forget Allah? Number two, are you waiting for that level of wealth that will make you stubborn and um, uh, audacious against Allah? Big problem. 
May, may Allah always protect us from that level of wealth that will think that make us think that we don't need Allah. When we see people leaving and going astray, we don't realize how lucky we are. We, we all of us sitting here. Why are we all sitting here? Just because Allah gave us just the right amount of money. If we had less than what we had, what we what we will keep us on iman, we wouldn't be sitting here. And if we have more than what we could handle, we wouldn't be sitting here. Subhanallah. Allah gave us just the right amount, and He gave us the right right level of iman to ha- and and taqwa to handle that. So Rasulullah saying, what are you waiting for? Are you waiting for this level of poverty, this level of wealth? Oh, maradan mufsida. Or are you waiting for that level of maradan? Sickness, mufsidan, which will ruin your life. You're healthy right now. What are you waiting for? Oh, haraman mufannida. Or are you waiting for such level of old age that will make you senile and make you forgetful of everything? Oh, mautan mujiza. Or are you waiting for sudden death? Uh, with Dajjal, or are you waiting for the Antichrist, uh, Dajjal himself? فَشَرُّ غَائِبٍ يُنْتَظَرْ He is the worst one to be waiting for. You don't think it's going to be easy to do a'mal at that time. Or are you waiting for the Day of Judgment? For indeed the Day of Judgment, Adha wa Amar, is very, uh, Adha, very intimidating, very over, overwhelming, wa Amar, and very bitter. Very bitter. Beloved friends, what Nabi والسلام, is telling us in this hadith is that the time is to act now. Time is to act now. Let's not wait. Alhamdulillah, we're healthy. We've got some time. Let's start doing it. Let us make a schedule for our daily adhkar. Right? There, uh, of what we're going to do every single day. Making sure we have to have, like the students here have charts. You can pick it up from here from the office if you want. Uh, in Ramadan also we made a charts. You tick it off, right? Every day, have I done my tasbih fatimi after every salah? Have I read my morning and evening du'as? Have I read my daily yasin? Have I read the ayats of 30 ayats of protection, manzil? Have I read sajda, mulk, and waqia in an evening, right? Have I read uh, uh, at least one quarter or half juice, or let's say time wise? Have I spent half hour with the Quran, right? Have I given my sadaqah today? Have I done some khidma? Uh, for my parents, have I done some khidma for uh, some create some some type of good deed that no one besides Allah knows? No one besides Allah knows. Something simple, quiet. You know, you see something broken, you go fix it quietly. Only you and Allah knows that. You know, without announcing anything unplanned, you see something. You see someone who needs their tire fixed. You see someone who's looking for a ride. You see someone who needs help with their groceries. Quietly, just going helping someone or something, right? Taking care of something. So a person needs to make a list of these things. And say, inshallah, these are my goals. Every single day, I'm going to do this. A'mala Friday are going to be different. Mondays and Thursdays, we can fast. Uh, if, not, if, if, you know, if not, then 13th, 14th, and 15th, they're going to fast. And look at the sunnah. Look at the sunnah that we have. Someone was just sharing with me a beautiful story of Mulana Ashavari Tanwi, rahmatullahi alayhi. That one day his wife brought, made squash at home. Kaddu. You know, squash. Then the next day, he made it squash again. And then third day, squash again. So he asked her, that why are you making squash every single day? Why every single day the same salam? So she said, I, I heard that Rasulullah used to love squash. And this is the short season that we have of squash. After this, the squash is the vegetable is not always available for sale. So in this season, I thought what better way than to just eat whatever Rasulullah liked. So this story was touched him so much that he went into seclusion for some time and became overwhelmed. And he came out after some time with a long list. And he said, I'm shocked that this is my wife, not a alima, not a graduate of some madrasa, but look at the love she has for Rasulullah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. 
that this is, she heard one sunnah, immediately, just begin to follow it. Imagine I as a scholar, how many things I know are sunnah of Rasulullah but I haven't done. So he said, I just became overwhelmed with that. And he said, I sat down in the room and started making a list of all the sunnahs of the Prophet even if he did something once in his life. But I need to at least do it once. And started making a list of that. This story, you, you heard from us on, 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 on Saturday morning that uh, one of the great ulama of this country, or I would say one of the most senior ulama of this country, Mawlana Bahauddin, passed away on Friday, right before Salatul Maghrib in Orlando. He was 97 years old. Right? And he had met all of these ulama. And this story that I just shared with apparently happened in front of him. Right? So he spent time with Mawlana He spent time with Mawlana Ilyas. He was connected with Mufti Shafi. The Ajib story was that uh, he was a little child at that time with Mawlana And Mawlana was very, uh, very firm on not uh, giving bayah or pledge of allegiance to kids, only adults. He was very strict on many things, right? Firm. So when Mufti Shafi, rahmatullah, the chief Mufti of the entire Pakistan, the father of Mufti Taqi Uthmani, rahmatullah, Mufti Shafi, when he went to take bayah, apparently Mulana Bahauddin was, rahmatullah, was young and a baby, and Mufti Shafi was carrying him. Right? So when he took, went to take bayah on the hands of Mulana Bahauddin, I'm sorry, Mulana Bahauddin, he said, I'm just going to put my hands on your kanda, on your shoulder, and I'm going to take bayah via you. Right? You know, because the rope was given, they'd usually have a rumal or a rope to take bayah on. So he said, sitting on the uh, shoulders of Mufti Shafi quietly, <laughs> I took bayah at the hands of Mulan Tani. Right? And then later on, when he became older, uh, he went to ask his Hazrat, who should I resort to? Who should I you know, become uh, connected? Islahi ta'alluq, what we call bayah. Yani, who do I make my mentor, basically? What's bayah? Who should I take as my mentor? And he said, go to Mufti Shafi. So then apparently he wrote a letter to him. I was just recently someone shared this with me. He wrote a letter to Mufti Shafi, Rahimahumullah, uh, that you know, those very same shoulders upon which I was blessed to be riding, and, and I was quietly allowed to I, you know, take bear at the hands of Malatanwi. Now I am, as an adult, resorting to you, back to you again, to the same hands, and requesting you to that you become my mentor. So I was, share, I was told that Mufti Shafi Rahimahumullah had this letter saved with him, and he would, he would read this out in front of his students because it really touched him. And this whole incident touched him so much that he would read this out to the students. And that apparently Mufti Taqi Uthmani then shared this with Mawlana Bahauddin rahimahullah. That you know, my father used to read this story out. Imagine, most of us sitting in this room, or those who are listening, have never heard of him. And subhanAllah, he just passed away on Friday night. You know, in Orlando. It's just sad that people, like the people who should be, whose, whose life we should cherish and benefit from, we don't know. And then when we die also, there's no much fanfare about it. And the people, other people who don't really benefit us in the dunya or akhirah, who don't even have iman, so much discussion about them. It's just it's a sad state of affairs. Because the passing away of any one alim is been told in hadith is more detrimental to the ummah than the passing away of an entire qabila, a tribe. And, and the hadith mentions the passing away of the scholar leaves behind such a gaping hole that it cannot be filled up. So in this day and age to have such a scholar leave us is a very big, big, big hole. And this is where we should all say the dua, Allahumma la tahrimna ajrah. Say that with me, Allahumma la tahrimna ajrah. Wa la taftinna ba'da. Oh Allah, do not deprive us of his ajr, his reward. And do not put us into fitna after his passing away. I also want to share with you that there were a few brothers uh, who had gone to Orlando for random dunyawi things or other things. And uh, mashallah, because of some of the brothers listening to the dars here, 
they've heard that, hey, any place you go, go visit the ulama. And go travel to go visit the ulama. So these people, subhanAllah, from other states, had, had gone to there for whatever reason. But mashallah, they said, oh, we're in Orlando, who, who, what should we do? I said, go meet so-and-so. This happened about maybe six weeks ago. A father and son, I said, just go for whatever reason you went, but make sure you go to meet Mona Bahauddin. SubhanAllah, so he said, I went, and he gave us time, and he was old, of course, very old. He couldn't speak much, but he listened, you know, made dua for us. And the brother, the father was saying, I took my 14-year-old son there. And then he said, as soon as we finished talking, we're about to leave, it started pouring outside, the rain. So we were forced to come back inside and spend another half hour and some more, you know, quality time with him. So the father asks his son, remember, did he speak? He didn't say a word. He was old, right? He didn't say a word. The father asked the son, what did you feel? How was this? And the son said, Baba, you know, Dad, I just feel something so special, so unique, so that I can't tell you what it is. But these are people who you just feel special with just by entering their company. The man never said one word. But the hearts are working. The hearts are more powerful than two hours, three hours of our talks. What I want to share, now he's gone. But how lucky that 14 year old is and that his father, they got a chance to meet. What is the lesson learned from here? Wherever you go, go visit the ulama, go visit the imams. Just like you say, what's a halal restaurant in the area? What's the best, uh, this ride, that ride? Go wherever you're traveling, go find out where are, who are the ulama of that town. People go to South Africa, people go to Karachi, people go to Lahore. They don't meet the ulama. I'm like, what are you doing? You go to Karachi, you don't meet the ulama. You go, meet, you go to Johannesburg, you go all this. You don't meet the mashayikh over there? Seriously? Like this is the biggest mahrumi and dep- deprivation I can imagine. That you go to these places where ulama, great ulama are there. How could you not? So you go to LA, you go to New York. Wherever you go, find out who these scholars are. They're leaving us one by one. And go visit. And even if you're praying in a masjid and there's an elderly person go leading, why go say salam to him? Go say salam to him with your son, your daughter, whoever is by make dua for us. We don't know who the hidden servants of Allah Azza wa Jal are. Right? That's what I'm trying to say. Make a point of, you know, uh, look at the respect 24 hour queue. People stood for six days huh, in a row. SubhanAllah. Right? What, who is worthy of respect? These are the ulama, mashayikh, and the elders that we need to show love. And we gotta tell our kids. That these are the side people you gotta go sightseeing for. These are the people you gotta go sit in their company. Five minutes of the suhbah of Ahlullah can change your life. Five minutes. No, I won't even say that. I'll say even, uh, even one glance of the Ahlullah. One glance of the Ahlullah. One glance of the people whose hearts are connected with Allah can have a massive change on our heart. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala grant you and I the company of the Ahlullah. May He allow us uh, to benefit from, uh, 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 from the, uh, those who are alive. And may he, allow, may, may he allow us to continue to remember in our du'as those who passed away. May Allah Azza wa allow us to take full benefit of our health and our free time. And may He not make us amongst those who waste away our time and waste away our health and at the time of death are, are remorseful for that. Inshallah, tomorrow after Salatul Aisha, we'll be having this final dars of Surah Taha as well. Please join us for that. We ask Allah Azza wa to make these a means of my salvation and your salvation and a means of forgiveness for our parents and our teachers. Subhanallah, bihamdi, subhanakallah, bihamdik. Nashadu Allah ilaha illa ant. Nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilaykum. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.